Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. So we're continuing our conversation about the life and ministry of Jesus, looking at his, his, uh, his life, his ministry, and maybe these stories are brand new to you. Maybe they're extremely familiar. Whatever the case, uh, we want to look at them in a fresh perspective and understand not only why were they written, but what do they mean for us in the present day. So Jesus performed many miracles during uh, his time in ministry, and some were miraculous healings. Uh, some were signs that he wasn't just an ordinary guy, an ordinary teacher. But one of the most popular miracles that Jesus performed was actually his first miracle, which was turning water into wine at a wedding. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning from John chapter 2. But before we go there, picture a time where you were in a desperate time of trouble, needing help. If I'm thinking back in my own life, a vivid memory for me happened in college when I was a church intern. So I was, I was living at home at the time and was commuting roughly an hour each way. Uh, during that time. And one night I was driving home on the highway and there was suddenly a loud pop and I could no longer steer my car. Uh, so I'm in the center lane having cars whizzing past me on both sides and I can't really steer very well. Um, so naturally that kind of brought me in a state of panic. Uh, so I had my hand on the wheel you know, with one hand and then I was trying to call my parents with my other hand. And uh, it was so loud, whatever broke, um, that they could actually hear it rattling through the phone. Uh, and so it was purely by God's grace that finally uh, the cars stopped coming past me that I was able to drift off the side of the road and, and wait for them in the tow truck. So that was definitely an experience for me when I was in desperate need of, of help, help from God and his protection and help from others. Our story this morning is of a young couple who's in desperate need of help in the middle of their wedding celebration. So it's a wedding in a small town. So the bride and groom and their families are well-known by everyone. Uh, everyone knows everyone because it's such a small town. And everyone's been invited to join them in the celebration. And unlike some other weddings we know, uh, where some don't come, everyone's there. So everyone's having a good time, good weather, good food. Everything is exactly as they would have asked for. Except for the third day of the wedding when things kind of went off the rails. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second. There's lots of weddings that happened during the lifetime of Jesus. So what's so special about this one? Why did this one get recorded in Scripture and not any others? Well, John, the author, explains that in verse 11 of chapter 2 when he says this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Did you catch the purpose there? See, it wasn't just about a wedding. It was about what Jesus planned to do at this wedding, to reveal his glory and his divine power. And notice also it says that this was the first time he did this. But as we know from the life and ministry of Jesus, this was not the last time that he would reveal his glory. So last week we talked about the calling of the disciples, that Jesus starts calling those who would become closest to him, those that he would begin pouring his life into. And so these guys have started following him because he called. 
because they recognized that there was something different. But did they connect all the dots at this time? Did they know exactly who Jesus was? No, of course not. At this point, they were just kind of tagging along, waiting to find out more, waiting to discover more about who Jesus was. And so Jesus intended to use this miracle that was about to happen as a way to open their eyes for them to see him for who he was. And so that's the true purpose of this story. But we should take a moment to talk about what this story is not. So this passage has been used as a battleground for, well, is it okay for Christians to drink or not? Well, did Jesus really convert this into water into wine, or was it water into grape juice? None of that's really the point. None of that is the point. And so Jesus was not using this to establish a moral standard on the issue. He was doing this to reveal his glory and power to young bride and groom in need. And so when we go down that other pathway that I just mentioned, we can be guilty of making this story too much about the wine and not enough about Jesus. Because Jesus is not just a supporting actor in this story. He is front and center, main stage. This is who the story is truly about. So be listening as we go through the story now for the central theme that Jesus is sufficient for every need. So I'm back up at verse 1 in chapter 2. It says, On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Yeah, his, his mom was really paying attention there, wasn't she? <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. So when we read this wedding took place on the third day. And back in that culture, a wedding was a week-long celebration. So it's great that you have wine and everything is going well on day one. But when you're out of wine on day three, you've got several more days to go. That is not a good situation to find yourself in. So Jesus and his disciples, they show up on the third day of this wedding week. And so many scholars believe that Cana was roughly five miles from Nazareth, which is the town, the little town where Jesus grew up. So the fact that Jesus and his mother were there was not some kind of special invitation because the family was saying, oh, we, we want to invite the Son of God to our wedding. He was just an ordinary guest that came along as a cultural expectation that they were included in the invitation. Now, what we do know is because Jesus now has these disciples with him that he must have arranged a few plus ones on his response card so that they all could show up uh, to this wedding. But if you notice in this, Jesus didn't show up with an entourage. He didn't show up in a chariot. He didn't show up with a, a sideshow that, look at me, I've, I've shown up to this wedding, look at me and see who I am. The, the disciples did not roll out the red carpet for Jesus to walk into this wedding. He showed up as an ordinary guest with his friends. He knows that he's a son of God. He has the power to do really anything that the Father leads him to do, and yet he shows up as an ordinary guest. That is a profound example of humility. And so, again, we, we've come to the point of the wedding where things kind of go off the rails three days in. Now, what we don't know is how Mary found out that all the wine was gone. I, I can picture that perhaps Mary and the bride were were close, their families had some kind of relation. And so the bride has come running to Mary with tears streaming down her face, saying, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're out of wine. The master of the banquet has just told us that we have no more. And so, you know, we might look at this and say, okay, well, all the wine's gone. Just drink something else. What, what's the big deal? 
Well, in this culture, running out of wine at celebration was a complete embarrassment, absolute embarrassment, both to the couple and the families who were hosting it. And so if they were to run out of wine and people discovered this, well, not only would that break up the celebration, but then people would be talking about them for quite a long time about, oh, yeah, remember that couple that ran out of wine at their wedding? Remember remember those families that didn't properly prepare uh, for their son and daughter's wedding? So the good news for now is that no one knows that the wine is gone yet. No one's found out yet. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, gets inserted into this dilemma, possibly by choice. We don't know. But she does know the one person on the guest list who will know how to resolve this problem. And so when we think about this, it's an opportunity to evaluate how we respond to situations that are difficult and unexpected, that are chaotic. Where is Jesus on our mental response chart? Is he our first call or the last resort when nothing else has worked? And so Mary didn't direct the servants to go running around the area of Cana saying we need to raid every house and find out who has wine in their house so that we can refill the wine for this wedding. She didn't panic. She didn't whip the the entire wedding party into hysteria. She went straight to her son, Jesus, knowing that he was the one who would know what to do. And so when Jesus responds here, woman, it's not my time, he's not disrespecting his mother, but it's a reflection of his total submission to the father. And as we already saw the past several weeks, through his baptism, through his temptation, everything that he did depended on submission to his heavenly father. And at that point in time, he had not been led to intervene in any way. Now, whether uh, Jesus acquiesced to his mother or the father used his uh, earthly mother, Mary, to uh, bring him into the picture, God used this as a catalyst for this very first miracle of Jesus. So the Spirit's about to lead him to use his power to intervene. And we see that starting in verse 6. It says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So what exactly is the ceremonial ceremonial washing that is talked about here? Well, I'm I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) So each of these six jars each had a different purpose. Some would have been for bathing, for washing feet. Those those are really uh, come in handy. Uh, Some things would have been washing the utensils before and after dinner, uh, maybe washing hands before and after dinner. So there was all these cleansing uh, uh, ceremonies and things that needed to be done to follow the the Jewish law at that time. And so this means that when Jesus says fill the jars, they're not empty. They're already full of dirty water having been used for the wedding celebration all this time. So again, so when Jesus says fill the, the jars to the brim, They're just adding on to the water that's there. So can you imagine what was going through the minds of these servants? So, okay, so this guy, Jesus, says he's going to help us get more wine. And his solution is for us to fill up the dirty bath water, dip a cup in there, and take it to our master to tell him to drink it. That's, That's Jesus' solution to helping us in our time of need. Well, that sounds like a great way to get fired, doesn't it? But what if it works? What if Jesus is about to perform a miracle that only he can do? So if we stop to do the math, if each one of those hold between 20 to 30 gallons, 
That means that if Jesus actually pulls this off, they have between 120 to 180 gallons of wine to make it through the week, which, I mean, depending on how things go, that may or may not be enough. But for the sake of argument, we'll assume that's plenty to go around. So Jesus wasn't planning to do something in this little cup. That's just a cheap party trick to show off, look at me, I can turn a cup of water into wine. No, Jesus had something far more, uh, far better uh, planned for that. And so he was going above and beyond to give this couple more than they would have ever dared to ask for. So everyone must have thought Jesus had just outright lost his mind. He's going to give us bath water and say, well, that, that should do the trick. Just have everyone drink that the rest of the week. But it wasn't until the water started to turn dark red and all the floating dirt faded away that people suddenly began to realize, oh, something's, something's going on here. So now all of a sudden the servants aren't so afraid to face their master, as we see in verse 9. So the servants, they go and approach their master, and he tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So this master of the banquet gives us some insight into how these wedding celebrations would go. At the beginning of the week, first day, you would roll out your best food, your best wine, top of the line everything. But then you would store the not as good stuff for later in the week when people have had way too much food and way too much wine. Then they stop caring about the quality and they just want more food and more wine. So that's kind of the way they would, they would line up the celebration. So the groom is probably shocked in this moment well, number one, because the last he had heard, all the wine was gone. And now you're telling me suddenly we have more than enough. But then also the fact that he was learning that this isn't just more wine. This is the absolute best wine that this master of the banquet had ever tasted. So the, the groom is getting a, a powerful lesson in this moment. And, and likewise, so do we as we read about this. And so this, this miracle, again, it reminds us that Jesus is sufficient for every need. And he invites us to trust him and experience his divine power at work, especially when times are hard. So as we wrap up today, I want to draw your attention to two specific ways that Jesus reveals himself to the couple, to the servants, and most importantly, to his disciples. First, Jesus provided more wine than they needed. He went above and beyond. He didn't stop at just a few glasses. He didn't take the time to lecture them on why they should have been more prepared. He went above and beyond for them. He saw their need and he gave them more than they would have ever dared to ask for. And the same Jesus that we trust and depend on every day went to the cross, just as we were thinking about and reflecting on earlier this morning. He went to a cross and gave everything to deal with our sin. He didn't just bleed a little bit and say, well, okay, I've given you enough blood to deal with your sin. Now you have to deal with the rest of it on your own. No, he went to the cross and gave everything for each one of us. And if he's already gone to such great lengths so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with him, then how much more, how much more can we depend on him in our day-to-day lives for him to provide everything that we need? He is even more aware than we are about what we need and when we need it. He simply asks us to trust him that when he says, I am your provider, that we trust him that he knows what he's talking about. And it allows us to pray boldly 
to trust boldly and to cling to him tightly because he sees us and knows us for exactly who we are. And no matter what, through his grace and compassion, he intervenes on our behalf. You know, he doesn't base it on levels and say, well, you know, if you were more devoted to me, if you were more committed to me, I could give you X level of blessing. But, you know, you haven't quite reached level three yet in your commitment to me. So now you're only eligible for this amount of blessing in your life. Through his grace and compassion, he gave everything on the cross. And he's able and willing to provide everything that we need in our daily lives. If only we weren't so foolish to make him our last resort out of desperation rather than our first call in times of need. So I'm going to invite the band forward as we talk about the second way that Jesus revealed himself. You know, he could have looked at this couple and said, tell you what, here's some great flavored bath water uh, for your wedding guests, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He gave them wine that was so good you couldn't find wine like that anywhere else in that area. He went above and beyond. And so instead of the whole town gossiping for years about the couple that ran out of wine at their wedding, the whole community talked about for years how good the wine was at the wedding. And it all changed when Jesus got involved. And so I won't claim to know everything that you've experienced in your past or maybe a difficult thing that you're experiencing right now in the present. But what I do know is that there are times when Jesus doesn't do things our way. Actually, I should change that. Most of the time, Jesus doesn't do things our way. He doesn't respond as fast as we want or in the way that we expect. And so sometimes it feels like we're crying out for help. We're crying out for Jesus to get involved in the situation. And he's handed us a cup of bath water and says, here, I've, I've helped you. Sometimes it can feel that way. But we have to be patient because as those that witnessed this miracle would tell you, it wasn't until that water came out of the stone jars that it became wine. See, Jesus hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't taken a vacation from ruling and reigning over his creation. He hasn't taken a vacation from being our father. His ultimate goal in every situation is for us to become more like him and for his glory and divine power to be evident to us and to those around us as he works in and through the situation and helps us in our time of need. Because as Paul wrote, God's power is most evident and not in our greatest times of strength but God's power and his divine glory are most evident in our weakness. So this couple found themselves in a desperate position that they themselves are powerless to fix. But Jesus wasn't about to tarnish his glory by providing them some grape juice for their troubles. He provided them an abundance of his absolute very best. And he invites us to trust him in the same way because he he truly is sufficient for every need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this story has been written for us to see and learn an example of how you saw this couple in need and you intervened in a powerful way where we see from this that you went above and beyond. You didn't just give a little bit. You gave more than they needed. And also, Lord, you gave your very best, both to this couple and to us on the cross. You gave everything so that we could have forgiveness of our sin that we could have a relationship with you and that we could have the hope of eternal life because you gave everything. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us not just to trust you, that you are the gateway into heaven for someday that we will see you face to face, but that we would be willing to trust you here and now in the present 
in our day-to-day lives that we would trust you not as a last desperation move when we have nowhere else to go, but that you would be our first call, the, the first person that we, we call in, in times of need. So, Lord, help us to trust you as we experience more and more of your grace. It's your name that we pray. Amen.